says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We see this echoed in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about, for, for some months now, we've been talking about this call to fellowship, this fellowship with God, that we've been called to the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys. Not some secondary version of it, not some you know, light version or beta version or trial version, but, but the same type of fellowship and oneness that Jesus has with the Father, we've been called to enjoy that same type of fellowship, that same uh, union, that same uh, common union, that same oneness, amen, that Jesus enjoys with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So we said a call to fellowship is a call to positional and functional oneness with God. And I know we've said that so many times and we've talked about that now for some time, but there's just some more things here that that the Holy Spirit wants to to show us as it relates to uh, positionally one versus functionally one. A husband and wife can be joined together by covenant and be positionally one, but that doesn't mean they're functioning, they're working together as, uh, as one. Now, Jesus said this in John 10 and 30. He said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. And then he says, I can of my own self do nothing. And so we see the positional where he's one with his Father, but then we see the functional where he says, the Father who dwells in me, the Father who dwells in me does the works. That's in John, the 14th chapter. Now, we've said the oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation. And I know you don't spell cooperation that way, but I'm trying to emphasize operating together, cooperating together with God. Now, last week, and I'm jump ahead now, last week we began to talk about oneness consciousness. And I, I, I told you last week that I actually dreamed that I was preaching this, <laughs> and, and that's kind of a surefire way when the Lord's speaking to me and, and, and uh, you know, showing me things that He wants me to say to His people. And so I know those words um, are a little cumbersome, oneness, consciousness, okay? But Jesus was aware of his Father dwelling in him. He was aware of that. He was conscious of his oneness with his Father. The awareness or consciousness of his oneness with God informed his thoughts, words, and actions. And I think it's fitting that we sing tonight um, about living in remembrance because Jesus never lost sight of his oneness with his Father. He refused to think, speak, or act apart from or without consideration of his oneness with his Father. Now, we've talked about the three levels. I don't know if that's the right word, but we'll go with it. Um, the Bible says, acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Acknowledge every good thing that's in you. But we said last week, before you can acknowledge, you must have knowledge. It's hard to acknowledge something that's in you if you have no knowledge of what's in you. It's hard to acknowledge who's in you if you have no knowledge of who's in you. It's hard to acknowledge who you are in Christ if you have no knowledge of who you are in Christ. So it begins with knowledge. Then it begins with an acknowledgement where you uh, agree with it. But then the next level is awareness, or along with awareness comes consciousness, where we become conscious of these things. 
again, consciousness and awareness are different from knowledge and acknowledging, okay? When, when you become conscious of something, that's when it becomes a reality. One uh, word, and I have it deeper down in my notes, that we see uh, as being synonymous with consciousness or awareness is this word to realize, to realize. And when you realize something for yourself, that's when that thing becomes real to you. Amen. So it's very possible it's very possible, um, when I say very possible, I hate to say it, but for a lot of people it's probable, amen, that they've become something in Christ that they have no knowledge of, or maybe they have knowledge of it, but they have not acknowledged it. Um, but then, you know, there comes this, this realization, this realization. And I believe realization comes by revelation, where it's something that takes place inside of you and me. Are you hearing me? It's, it's something that, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's the transformation of, 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 of our uh, internal heart and, and mind uh, being formed, praise God, uh, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says as we, as we behold Jesus, we're being transformed into His same image uh, by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, as we connect these things with fellowship, I want to, again, this is review from last week, but we're going to add some things to it. Abiding, dwelling, and delighting in the Lord and His Word are all expressions of fellowship with Him. They're all expressions of fellowship with Him. And so we see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit do not just have fellowship with one another, but they are a fellowship. And what we mean by that is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they abide together, they dwell within one another, and they delight with and in one another. Okay? Amen. Now we could, and, and it's, it's, you know, similar and can be the same even uh, when we have this with other people. We have fellowship with people where we, we abide with them, we dwell with them, we delight in them, we enjoy uh, being with them. Uh, but the benefits, and we see in Scripture that there are many different benefits associated with, connected to, abiding, dwelling, and delighting. We only looked at just, uh, I think, one verse for each one um, last week. Uh, John fifteen seven. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice, ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Psalm 91 and 1, if he who dwells, there's the key word, dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And of course, he goes on to talk about the protection and the provision that comes from dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Abide and dwell. These are fellowship words. Then Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He'll do what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, for the born-again believer, abiding, dwelling, and delighting are positional. And what I mean by that is they have become a state of being. But they will only be experienced and enjoyed to the degree that we are oneness aware, that we are aware of our oneness. Now, I, I really felt impressed with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why we've spent a little bit of time here reviewing this. Because as, as I was um, listening to last week's uh, sermon, last Wednesday night's sermon, uh, and just talking to the Lord about it as I, as I was listening to it, um, I really felt like He wanted me to, to go back and, and emphasize this, okay? And so I'm going to put it up on the screen. Abiding in Jesus and Jesus' words, abiding in you, 
abiding in Jesus and Jesus' words abiding in you is not a shortcut or end around faith, nor are these a substitute for faith, but faith flourishes through fellowship. Abiding is an expression of fellowship, and strong faith is a byproduct of fellowship. Do you understand what I mean by that? We made the statement last week that sometimes we look at these things and we try to make principles and disciplines out of them without seeing what, they, what it really means. Because we think if somehow we can abide, if we can just figure out what that is and how you do it, then we can do it and then God will do whatever we ask. Okay, But God operates in and through our lives by faith. Okay, And so to, to look at these things as a substitute for faith, as a shortcut, as an end around, no. Why is it that if we abide in Him and He abides in us, we'll ask what we will and it'll be done for us, right? Whatever we desire. <laughs> it's because faith will flourish through the fellowship that abiding communicates or represents, okay? So in the new covenant, abiding, dwelling, and delighting are positional states of being. These are not and cannot be earned or deserved. They are positions freely given but not automatically enjoyed. Positions freely given but not automatically enjoyed. You see, if you've been born again, you're in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in you right now. Even as we speak, you have oneness with Him. You abide in Him and He abides in you. You dwell in Him, He dwells in you. Delight is, is, is a bit different only in the sense that delight is positional. Delight is positional, but delight helps us understand how abiding and dwelling work because delight is when we engage our fellowship with the Father in our, in our minds and it begins to affect us in our emotions. Amen. Where we, uh, uh, you know, communicate with Him, enjoy His presence, experience His presence. Amen. And, and listen, I don't know what you do for pastime. You understand pastime? I says, you know, is baseball still America's favorite pastime? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big baseball fan. Don't judge me for that. I'm just, amen, it's just not my thing, all right? But, but one, of the, one, I think, one of the ways we can understand what it means to delight yourself in something is, is what do you find pleasure in in your quote-unquote downtime or your pastime, you know, hobbies, interests. And listen, Father doesn't mind you having hobbies and interests, okay? But you can actually delight yourself in Him while you do the thing that you enjoy. If you enjoy uh, disc golf, then go play disc golf, but don't leave Jesus at home. You say, well, I thought you said He would never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave you nor forsake you, but again, where do we leave Him home? We leave Him at home in our minds. We disengage from Him in, in, in our awareness, in our consciousness. Amen. So, Abiding, dwelling, and delighting are positions freely given, but they're not automatically enjoyed. Now, why is that? Well, last week, and this is where we ended last week, and we've still got some minutes to go tonight, so uh, I'm glad we're going to get into some new stuff. Amen. Last week, we talked about sin consciousness, righteousness consciousness, and then oneness consciousness. And far too many of God's children continue to live with a sin consciousness despite having been forgiven and made free from sin. When we talk about awareness and realization and, and what um, we uh, are, are more conscious of than other things, you know, Satan 
if you listen to him, he's going to constantly remind you of your failures. He's going to constantly remind you of your mistakes. He's going to constantly remind you, and if he can, get you to live your entire life focused on what you don't have or what you don't think you have. Amen. But see, anytime, notice the pattern Jesus set for us. And we, it, not just Jesus, we see it all the way back in the, in the Old Testament as well. You know, people would talk about what they don't have and what they need in light of what they don't have. And Jesus wasn't interested in what they don't have. He was interested, he was interested in their need, but not in what they don't have. What do you have? What do you have, right? Satan would have you focused on what you don't have and, and live your life with that awareness and with that realization instead of uh, aware of what and who you do have and what and who you have been given. Now, I'm rushing through some of this because I'm trying to get to some other things. And maybe I should have just started there. But just stay with me. Are you good? Are you okay? Everybody all right? All right. So far too many of God's children continue to live with a sin consciousness despite having been forgiven and made free from sin. You see, it's one thing to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. It's another thing altogether to live with a righteousness consciousness. Now, Romans 5, 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will do what? They will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. If all it took to rule and reign in life was being made righteous, things would be a lot more different in the daily lives of millions of God's people. So what we see then is you must be made righteous and then have a righteousness consciousness in order to rule and reign in life. Just, yes, sir. I thought you said, amen. You've got to have it, right? Thank you for the amen, brother. Amens are so sparse in here. and somebody says one, I think they've got something to say. Amen. All right. That's all right. I'm just kidding. You're thinking, right? You're thinking. Amen. So you must be made righteous and then have a righteousness consciousness to rule and reign in life. Watch this now. A righteous man living with a sin consciousness is not going to rule and reign in life. It's not going to happen. Now, the same is true with oneness. That's the part I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to show you one thing to help you understand another. The same is true with oneness. We've been made one with God, but without a oneness consciousness, we will experience very little of the joy, delight, and victory that belongs to us. Now, Jesus demonstrated for you and me, and by the way, He's our example. He's our pattern. He revealed the patterns. He established the patterns for us to to look to and to follow. And the pattern, a lot of patterns, but one of the patterns that he uh, established for us, demonstrated for us, is dominion through fellowship. Now, where are we going with this, Pastor Mark? Well, you're going to see this. The Holy Spirit's going to show you. Jesus demonstrated dominion through fellowship. Now, why is that important? It's important because that's the way it was, it was originally with the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was to rule his domain through his fellowship with God the Father. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with all that the Bible teaches about these things, and we've, we've taught on these for years here at Heritage, but again, some of you are new to Heritage. What we see from the very beginning 
is that God created mankind in His image, in His likeness, to look like He looks and to function the way He functions. And then He empowered us with something called a blessing. He blessed us, and in blessing us, He instructed us. He gave us some royal mandates, and among those mandates were to have dominion. He put everything that He created, all the works of God's hands, the Bible says, He put you and me over those, to rule over the works of His hands, to to have dominion over the works of His hands. So think of dominion as our domain, not not to rule over one another. That's not how this works, amen? We're to submit to one another. If God puts somebody in your life that's supposed to be an authority over you, then you're to submit to them because God's trying to get you under who and what you're supposed to be under so He can put you over who and what you're supposed to be over. But I don't have, you know, I'm not supposed to, to, to have a dominion in, in the sense of dominating you and, and, and against your will and, th- and things of this nature. So don't get confused in that regard of what I'm saying. How about uh, angels created by God's hand? Amen? Yes, God created angels. And so the Bible says that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister on behalf of, to minister for the heirs of salvation. That would be me and you, Okay. Lucifer, did he create Lucifer? Yes. Was Lucifer an angel? Yes. Is Lucifer a fallen angel? Yes. So if we, if we have dominion over angels, we certainly have dominion over fallen angels. Amen. So when we talk about receiving this gift of righteousness and ruling and reigning in life through the one Christ Jesus, we see here and in other places in the scripture, if I have time, I'll show you a couple of others tonight. But we, we see that there's always this connection. Watch this now. There's always this connection between righteousness and ruling and reigning in life. There's always this connection between righteousness and dominion. Right stand, righteousness means right standing with God in the eyes of God. And we, and we see that it it, it requires righteousness, right standing with God in the eyes of God, in order to have dominion. Dominion, righteousness, by the way, is a position. Dominion is also a position, but dominion is, is, involves functioning. In other words, we, we, we have to function in dominion over uh, devils and demons and uh, things in the earth that are uh, out of order and out of sync. All right? So now watch this. Positional oneness will never translate into functional oneness without a oneness consciousness. I like to illustrate it this way. Some of you have uh, remember when the Holy Spirit gave us this uh, years ago. But, you know, sometimes we say when we're really close to somebody, we say, man, me and him's just like this, okay? And we, and we hold up two fingers as close together as we can squeeze them, right? And the correct way of saying it is, it's not that me and God are just like this, okay? You and God are, are not just like this. You and God are just like this. One. One, okay? Positionally, you have been made one with God. But the positional oneness provides the foundation for the functional oneness. For us to be able to function as one with God. Jesus demonstrated what it looks like for a man on planet earth to function as one with God. He demonstrated dominion through fellowship. 
That was the original plan and continues to be the plan to this day for you and me. For you and me to have dominion over our created realm, amen, through fellowship with our Father. No fellowship with the Father, then we are virtually helpless to have dominion over our created realm. At least to the level and extent that God intends for us to have it. Now... I'm, I'm wanting you to see, though, a connection to some of these things. Positional oneness will never translate into functional oneness without a oneness consciousness, meaning, meaning aware of it. When Jesus said, listen to me now, when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, guess what he's expressing right there? He's expressing his uh, uh, oneness consciousness. He's aware of it. He knows it. He, he, he's acknowledged it. He has realized it. He's come to the realization of it. Meaning what? Meaning it's real to him. This, this, <laughs> you talk about what the younger generation, sometimes, you know, they say, well, it just got real. You know, so-and-so just got real. It just got real. Amen. Aren't, aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit revealing things to you and them becoming real to you in your life? It becoming more than just something you read about, more than just something you, you heard about, more than just something that, you know, somebody told you was in the Bible. You got the knowledge of it, now you're acknowledging that it's in you, and now all of a sudden it, the Holy Spirit brings it to a, to a place of revelation and understanding where it becomes real to you. Amen. So positional oneness will never translate into functional oneness without a oneness consciousness. And those, until we become aware of the oneness... and. Remember, I know some of you weren't here for this. Hebrews 2.11, the Bible says Jesus joyfully acknowledges His oneness with you. He joyfully acknowledges and recognizes you as His bride, you as His body, you as a member of Himself. He rejoices in that and and readily and, and speedily acknowledges who you are in Him. Amen. We're the ones that are often reluctant to do the same. We are the ones who often struggle with me and Jesus are just like this. Why? Well, what happened when Jesus said, I and my Father are one? The religious establishment didn't like it. The religious establishment went crazy on him. Matter of fact, they tried to kill him. And so that's the, that's the pressure that Satan is, is trying to apply to the church to, to keep us from becoming fully aware of our oneness with God. But now watch this. In the same way... Positional oneness will never translate into functional oneness without a oneness consciousness. It's impossible to have a oneness consciousness without first having a righteousness consciousness. Now, let me, let me back up for a minute. When um, Heritage Christian Center was born in first Sunday of June 1998... The Lord gave us the name. He, he instructed us. And we had a lot of people that suggested, a, you know, some good names, some worthy names. But, but Heritage was, was, 
what the Lord, and, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. I'm not here to tell the whole story. But the Bible has a lot to say about your inheritance, has a lot to say about your heritage. Amen. And your inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are in Christ. And so in the early days of the church, I, I was really excited to, to begin to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are in Christ. And it, it wasn't connecting. Uh, it, it, it was, you know, kind of sailing over people's heads. And, and, and they were kind of looking at me, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? Okay. And so there's a, there's a connection. And, and I know we don't go by feelings, but it's not, it's not an emotion. It's, a, it's, it's something deeper than that. It's, 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 the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. Amen. And, and as a servant leader in the body of Christ, as one who has been called uh, by God and appointed by God to feed his people the word of God, amen, um, in the same way that if I was to prepare a meal for a group of people, a physical meal for a group of people and put it on the table, you, you kind of know pretty quick whether or not they're enjoying what you've prepared for them, okay, whether they like it, amen. It was some years ago, Pam and I made, was it shrimp and grits, baby? It was shrimp and grits. Amen. And, uh, and John, Mark, and Bethany, they were, they were being so polite, okay? But it, it wasn't good. I'm just telling you, it, it wasn't good. <laughs> Amen. And, and, of course, we, we never made it again, right? But you can tell them it's like, because we're all so excited. Man, it smelled good, looked good. You know, we all sitting at the table, we say blessing, everybody starts getting big old helpings of it, you know? And then you start kind of pushing it around on your plate. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Okay. Well, in, in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, when, when you're not making that connection, or when you're, when, you're, when you're putting the sermon out there and people are kind of pushing it around on the plate, amen, you, you know that. You know that in, in your spirit. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm, I'm talking about something much deeper than feelings. There's, you, because the Holy Spirit is the teacher amen and if if for whatever reason people are not connecting with what's being presented to them um you know we we got a problem remember when the people in jesus own hometown uh rejected him as being nothing more than mary's son and the bible says he could do no uh big miracle there um anybody remember what jesus did after that the bible says he went around from village to village in a circuit teaching so what what was he what did jesus do he recognized by the holy spirit that there were things that people didn't understand that was preventing them from connecting with what he came to give to them what he came to 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 do for them and and serve to them okay but rather than getting mad, well, you're not going to see me. I just go. No, no. He, he recognized, okay, we need some more teaching here. There's something that's missing that's preventing the people from connecting. Yes. And so I, if, if we could go back, I don't, it was three or four weeks ago. I even went so far as to express some of that. And maybe that was not the best idea, but, but I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing it more for the Lord even than, Father, help me here. What, what are we missing? What are we, what are we lacking? And so let's go back to it then. Early days of heritage, I'm, I'm preaching to people what belongs to them because of who they are in Christ, and they're pushing it around on their plate. 
And I'm like, Lord, why is this? He said, you're trying to tell somebody what belongs to them because of who they are in Christ, and they don't know who they are in Christ. See, if you don't know who you are in Christ, there's, there's nothing for uh, the teaching of what belongs to you because of who you are in Christ to rest upon. So what do we do? We backed up. And it's been for 25 years now. It's been a central part of everything that we do. I hardly ever do we uh, minister from this pulpit or in, the, in any of these classrooms that we don't say something to the effect of who somebody is in Christ or point out something about that. Because if, if we don't understand who we are in Christ, then I could teach until I am blue in the face and, and very few people, if anybody, is going to connect with what belongs to them because of who they are in Christ until they know who they are in Christ. But once they know who they are in Christ, then, amen, it's that inward witness of the Holy Spirit and people aren't pushing it around on their plate, but they're, um, they're chowing down, amen, That's that connection and, and people are being fed. Are you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I want you to leave here full, full of the Spirit, full of the Word, full of faith, full of hope, full of joy, Full, are you following what I'm saying? Full of the love of God. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever come to church and left feeling worse than you did when you got there. Amen. But that is not, we do not want that to happen here. Amen. Okay. So that is, that's my job. Amen. <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit trying to help me. Sometimes I get really excited about stuff, you know, and, and I, I just tear off into teaching things and I'm like, oh, hold, slow your roll there, Mark. You got back up here. There's other things we got to talk about. Now, I said all that to say, I said all that to say, the people pushing around on their plate, oneness, right? What, what does, what's got to be in place in a person's life before they can receive oneness consciousness, righteousness consciousness? In other words, if you have no awareness of your righteousness, that is to oneness what who you are in Christ is to what belongs to you because of who you are in Christ. Did you follow that? In other words, you, you, you can never ever uh, uh, bring someone to an understanding of their oneness with God that, that's still laboring with a sin consciousness. Amen. Now, watch this. This is why, watch, watch now, praise God, I got all kind of verses, but I'm just feeling like I need to do this. We'll come back and backfill some of this next week with verses, and I'll show it to you in the Word, line upon line, okay? But now watch this, okay? So again, if you've noticed, we see righteousness associated with ruling and reigning in life. The Amplified Version says to rule and reign as kings in life, right? Why is that? What's... What's so magical about righteousness that enables a man or a woman to rule and reign in life? It's not so much that the righteousness enables them to rule and reign in life as it is the fellowship that the righteousness supports and provides. Was Jesus right with God in the eyes of God? He absolutely was. He was the epitome of right standing with God, which enabled him to fellowship with his Father 24-7, which in turn enable him to have dominion through that fellowship. There's all kinds of different ways we'll say this. Let me try to get back to my notes for a few more minutes, okay? So, 
here's, a, here's another one. 1 Corinthians 3.16. We mentioned this verse last week, but we didn't turn there. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? There's that word again. Dwells, abide, delight. That the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know? Or how about this one? Are you not aware? Are you not aware? Multiple translations read, do you not realize? Do you not realize that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Realize again means to be fully aware. Realizing something means it just became real to you. The Apostle Paul was saying to born-again believers in Corinth, in whom the Spirit of God dwelt... He says, are you not aware of this? Do you not know this? Have, have, have you not come to the realization yet? Has it not been made real to you yet that the Spirit of God lives inside of you? Sadly, a lot of God's people have not yet become aware of that yet. So Jesus expressed His oneness, expressed his oneness consciousness when He boldly declared, I and my Father are one. Now, we're going to get into some stuff that confrontational, not controversial, okay? <laughs> My brother Donald taught me that, amen. Confrontational, not controversial. For those of you who are new to this study, one of the things that the Lord showed us, when I say a vision, I mean in my mind, not an open vision. But he showed me, you know, people painting walls with a roller, and they would roll a room really quickly. They would pick up their, their, their paint stuff and they would go to another room and they would roll all the walls there and they were leaving the cutting in. You, you, you like cutting in, that's when you paint against the baseboard, paint against the ceiling, paint against the, the door trim. And in and, and showing me that, he said, this is a problem in the body of Christ because this is how people are being taught. It's like we go into the room and we roll the middles because everybody wants to try to stay within a, a zone of truth that is relatively universally agreed upon. But we don't want to get towards the edges where it takes time. It takes it, you can you can roll a room faster than you can cut a room in. You know? And so sometimes we, we just, you know, hit on a doctrine and we roll it real quick and then we go. But see, there's associated with any truth, right, is when you get to the edge of that truth, it's where it starts getting controversial in some people's minds, but ultimately it's really the truth confronting, okay? And, and this is where you start getting over to that edge. This, this is where... Um, <laughs> you know, persecution and, 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 and these things uh, can, can get involved and, and arguments and so forth and so on. Not looking to argue with anybody, not looking to, to, to any of that. But see, what's happening is you got God's people walking around with a whole bunch of, you know, half-painted room, half rooms in their heart and they don't really see the whole... But man, once you come in there with that brush and you really cut that in and you get that room, oh, that's, that's the part that, that sets it off. Am I right about it? Got any painters in here? I'm gonna, you take that brush and, oh man, that's when it's like, ooh, baby, that's looking good right there, okay? So we're not afraid to get a brush 
and cut some things in and, and, and get right up against the edge, okay, so that we can see the whole picture. And so with that said, I'm going to kind of set the tone for where we're headed. Disobedience and sin cannot sever your positional oneness with God, but will absolutely hinder your functional oneness with Him. Disobedience, let's call it what it is, sin, disobeying God, sin, it cannot sever your positional oneness. Meaning, if you and God have been made just like this by the blood of Jesus, not of any works that you've done, not any payment that you've made, not any uh, uh, good that, that you did long enough to earn it, but you became one with God because of something Jesus did for you as you, and a gift that he gave to you, what part of his gifts and callings are, are without repentance? In other words, he'll never take it back. I got verse after verse after verse after verse in here. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he will be in you forever. Not until you make your first mistake, not until you commit your first sin, he will be in you forever. So our positional oneness with God is established by the blood of Jesus. And sin can't sever that. Sin can't sever that. Because Jesus has already taken the blame and the punishment for any sin that you have yet to commit. And He took your sin away from you. He didn't come to cover it over. He came to take it away, to never be held against you, to never be used against you ever again. So disobedience and sin cannot sever your positional oneness with God, but will hinder your functional oneness with Him. I've seen it. I've had people talk to me about it. I've even seen it in my own life. You, you, you have a hard week and, and, and don't do everything you ought to do and whatever. I mean, you come to church, you don't, you don't even feel like worshiping God. You, you feel like, well, I'll, you know, I'll be a hypocrite and worship God right now. You know, I kicked the cat walking out the door, you know, lost my cool driving to church. See, notice again, that, that affects the functional oneness, but God's still God. He still loves you. He had not disowned you. He still rejoices to call you part of Him. He still acknowledges that you're His. Amen, or me, but I'm going to show you this in the Bible. You say, oh, but see, again, we got a brush in our hand now. We done laid down a roller, and we done picked up a brush. So, if you've been born again, sin can't sever your positional oneness with God but it will hinder your functional oneness with Him. This is why Father desires to purge from us the very consciousness of sin. The very consciousness of sin. Because the bigger picture for God is fellowship. Not being able to boss you and me around. Are you know what I'm saying? I didn't marry Pam so I could boss her around. I entered into a covenant that, that made me one with her because I loved her and I wanted to enjoy and share the rest of my life with her. Not because I had somebody wash my clothes. And she does a very good job of that, by the way. We hadn't been married very long and I turned everything pink and she just said, honey, just, I'll handle this. I said, okay, baby, thank you. I've gotten better though here lately. I, amen. Not because she asked me to because I try to take a little of the load off of her. But anyway. Father desires to purge us from the very consciousness of sin. The sin that separated you and me from Him, Jesus dealt with that. 
He removed it. He took it once and for all upon Himself so that we could forever and ever be positionally one with God. But if we still maintain an awareness of sin, despite having been made righteous, it will interfere with our functional oneness with God. So God says, I want a sacrifice that will so thoroughly purge and cleanse their sin that it can purge their consciousness of sin. So that the consciousness of sin can no longer undermine our consciousness of righteousness. Because if we become aware of the righteousness that we've been made, the eternal right standing that we have with God the Father that is not based upon our works, but based upon Jesus' works, not based upon what we do, but based upon what Jesus has done for us, and we begin to put our confidence in His ability to make us righteous instead of our ability to keep ourselves righteous, we will lose the sin consciousness. We will allow the righteousness consciousness to come up and up inside of us. And that, my brother and sister, is what will give a place for oneness consciousness to reside in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I thought we would have gotten a lot further into all this than we did tonight. That's okay. I'm excited about where we are. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is probably going to be one of the strongest things I've said from this pulpit in a long time. But I'm going to say it tonight because I'm not, I'm not going to chicken out. <laughs> not that I would. I'm just saying this is strong. This is strong. But we got a brush in our hand still, okay? This is, I believe this is from the Holy Spirit, and I believe it's 100% supported by the Word. But watch this now. Satan is behind any teaching, any teaching that questions the eternal permanence of our salvation. Satan's behind that. devil's behind that. But see, listen to me. You'll never understand why God did it that way unless you understand it within the context of fellowship. He didn't just do it for you. He did it for himself. He has done what he's done for you. He's given what he's given to you. He has made you what he has made you for his sake. What's the context of fellowship? It's what he longs to have with you. Sin separates us from him. He does not want you to be separated from him. And so he paid the ultimate price. Jesus became the final answer to our sin problem. He took it away. You do not have a sin problem any longer. If you think you have a sin problem, you may still struggle with sin. But you listen to me. You don't have a sin problem. I do not have a sin problem anymore. Oh, Pastor, who do you think you are? That's righteousness, consciousness speaking. Who did Jesus think he was when he said, I and my father are one? That was oneness consciousness speaking. He would have never said that if, if you know, he was out there sinning and doing all kinds of wrong. His mind wouldn't function like that. But see, he was so aware of his right standing with God the Father that to say he was one with God the Father was not, that, was not a big deal for him. Everybody else, can't believe you said that. Once again, fellowship is the why. You'll never understand why God has lavished such grace upon us without the context of understanding His desire to have fellowship with us. Eternal 
uninterrupted and precious fellowship. He has done this for us, but He's also done it for His own sake. Father, thank You for this time together this evening. Thank You for helping us, Lord, connect with these things, Lord, deep within our spirits by faith. Father, I, I know that there are folks in the room that these things are really stretching them. And that's good, Father. We, we, we're going to we're going to stretch and grow. We're not going to stretch and break. We're not going to stretch and, and, and reject. But, Lord, we're going to lean into what you're saying. Lord, you're the one who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think or imagine, Lord. And so if we, if we can't imagine this to be true right now, Father, um, help us hang in here until we get enough truth from your word in place in our hearts, Lord, to support and, and not only... Um, receive this without staggering, but Lord, to receive and take this ball and run with it, Lord. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for those watching online. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and families. You have been good to us, Lord, and the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for being here tonight. Thank you for your love and faithfulness and goodness and kindness. We will see you on Sunday, if not before. Good things coming.